Hello, and welcome to the Heavy Pour Podcast. This is Episode 9, The 80 Years' War, Part 2. If you haven't listened to The 80 Years' War, Part 1, which is Episode 8, I highly recommend that you go and listen to that one first. In this episode, Dustin Barden, Spencer Evans, and I will be digging deeper into The 80 Years' War. I hope you enjoy. We're back. <laughs> we be all back. Okay, so the <laughs> next major, uh, I guess, oh my God, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Event? Yeah. That'll work. That's not the exact word I was thinking of. Yeah, what's the next major event here? So there's a Spanish Fury, as we mentioned, yes. where essentially the Spanish soldiers kind of pull out of all of what is today Belgium and the Netherlands. And because they weren't getting paid. Because of this 1576, yes, this cool. Spanish Fury where the Spanish troops essentially just rebelled yeah. because they hadn't been paid in two years. Yeah, so that, then they start just stealing crazy. money from... I know, isn't that... Yeah. Two years? Two years with no... That's money. a lot of commitment for them, for their king, man. I mean, they're still getting... They're still getting their... their Two or three daily, but their families aren't back home, so that's huge. Like, so they don't even know. But imagine two years. Oh yeah, they're two years in the lowlands. They're not in the nice, warm uh, Spanish confines. They're they're out in the yeah. They get they get shipped up north. Dank, cold, (laughs) swampy lands of the Netherlands. I've never been to the Netherlands. It might be. It's beautiful, but still, back in these days, it wasn't quite so nice. I'm sure it's Mm. a little moist. Nothing ever was quite as nice as. Let's be honest. Today is like things today are so much better. Spoiled, but, spoiled. Yeah. Well, but yeah. I'm glad we have computers so, that we hold in our hands. It, yeah, that Dude, tell us everything. It's mad. Of course, we're spoiled. Yes. So next major thing. Yes. On the road here of this 80 years of war, we're over. We're, we're about what 20 into it now. Uh, we're 15, we're not even 10. Well, yeah, we're kind of 15, actually. I 10, guess the 15. 68. We're a little bit over. Yeah, 10. Okay. But uh, so. Next thing I got down here is the Union of Utrecht. Utrecht, yeah, which okay. is 1579. That's a thing. A couple of years later. Where's U- Where's Utrecht? Utrecht is one of the provinces of the Netherlands. Okay. So it's it's uh, just next to Holland, and okay. it's on that uh, the Zuider Zee. That do you have the, Do you have a map? I, I do. I just want. We'll, and listeners, we'll take pics or we'll scan them in. And here's a quick interim too. Um, we'll either have uh, photos posted. I don't know. Can we post photos? We'll get them up on the website for this particular episode somehow, but also just to let you yeah. know, I would suggest pulling up a map That's the of the Netherlands because this shit is cray. The 17 promises and then trying to figure out who was aligned with who and where. If you just if you just Google, honestly, uh, I think we should just we should just post. You know, actually, I'm gonna scan this in, and I might just do all this, or just like just put this up there because this is uh this looks like be, to be a map of the conflict by spencer that's me yeah that's so, so but if, if you're yeah it was in i took this course uh the golden age of the dutch republic which kind of like why we're uh, kind of doing this episode because yeah, I, I i said that yeah. i was very interested in it. Mm-hmm. and uh it, we did everything you could imagine in the golden age of the dutch republic which is kind of like the start of it rembrandt until like 1672 so it's kind of like a hundred year period the golden age of the Dutch mm-hmm. Republic. So in that course, I did a bunch of, I never read so much in my entire life, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, What's the Nord Z? The North Sea. North Sea. Oh, that makes sense. Listeners, I will say, if you are driving or out and about and don't have access to any of our social media or website or anything to look at these maps that we're going to scan in, I would just say, if you're interested, Google it and take a look at like, Honestly, you could even just look at a map of the Netherlands right now as they are today because it's just as confusing as it was (laughs) 500 years ago. But it'll give you an idea of the sort of geography they were working in. and uh, 1576. Yeah, this is probably after that. So this Union of Utrecht uh, is kind of finally where they stop with the whole saying they don't want to 
it's that they're not it's not an independence movement that they, this is sure. just a thing against the king kind of. So this is where a number of the provinces that are involved in the conflict join together and on paper write down oh, so now they the rules get to the of their relationship, essentially. Like, it, it, um. it involves contributions of money and people for fighting against the Spanish. From and the provinces of, for the yes. cause against the Spanish. Against okay. the Spanish, right. yes. So it was kind of like the rebellion making its own government so based being, on kind of the stuff that was already set up before the rebellion. But they're kind of codifying it and it's yeah. becoming it's becoming a more a, an actual war for independence at this point because they're defining their own existence, right? They're Yes, and it's okay. a stated thing. This is against the king of Spain. So they kind of they're dispense with this thing anymore. saying they're that just, we're not trying to break away. This yeah. is kind of yeah. So it's a, it's a defensive Damn. alliance, but it's it's kind of seen by some as kind of like the beginning of like a Dutch constitution because they kind of wrote down the rules mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and they formed the government, which is called the States general. This, the seven, the States okay. of the Netherlands were kind of like the, I don't know, like, like the duchies, the previous provinces, each were considered a state kind of in the way yeah. that America is the United States. Right. Kind of, so they became eventually known as the United provinces of the Netherlands. Interesting. In that way. So it was kind of it's very like, strangely like camp, familiar like <laughs> in a way. Yeah. So it was this group of provinces which were um, Holland, Zeeland, Utrecht, Gelders, Drenthe, uh, Overgissel, and Groningen. Also, quick interjection. The names in Holland are in the Netherlands, ridiculous. I love it's it. Pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. Mm, very Nordic. So that's just my best try on all those. They're so fun. So, oh, they're great. But Air, look them up. You'll have a Air great time. Shot. I really, oh, I really so want to, I want to get my, uh, what's it called when you get your DNA tested? Well, you get your DNA tested. Get your DNA yeah. tested. <laughs> <laughs> what's it called when you want to get your DNA tested? I don't know. Uh, I think you want to get your DNA tested. I think mm. that's. You, I know you meant like you're 23 and me, but because we talk in algorithms and but, and apps now, right? Like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What's that thing where you can keep keep track of old high school Facebook? Oh, that thing. Okay, I hate you, but I'm gonna 23 and me myself. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, I want to see if my heritage brings me back to the Netherlands because I feel like it could. It's my dad. Possible. My dad is Welsh. My mom is Scottish. And How are you getting the Netherlands out of there? What? Because you can travel. They're all kind of whatever. Close. I'm on your side here, bud. I look like I could be from the Netherlands. I mean, let's be honest. You yeah, know, your yeah. your beard looks yeah. blonde. Like Rembrandt tall. can paint you. Yeah, I'm, I look like, and that's I, a good thing. I think so. I think I look like the Hollywood interpretation of somebody from Netherlands. So. uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uh, yeah, Spence. I'm so glad you paused with me there. That was good. Uh, this is a long ass pause. Fuck you both. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. It was, no, no. I, I I respect the pause. All right. Whatever. It was mostly yeah. because I was contemplating. First of all, like what? How does Hollywood see people from the Netherlands? What does that mean? It's like Vikings. Vikings. Isn't that Denmark and like Norway? The, I'm sure that. the Netherlands got bashed with some Viking asses too. I think some of them were Vikings. Well, they know? would they, they would pirates. always go east and never west. Well, I mean, they also made it as far as Paris down that river in the France thing. So. Right, France thing. I don't know anything about France. I've never been. One of my best friends. What? I've been to France so many times. Two of my best friends. Well, you also lived, lived in, in England, so and Germany. Exactly. Whenever the president flies anywhere, so Air Force because of the government. Whenever the president flies anywhere, so Air Force One, I was in the Air Force, refueling. So anytime oh. they go anywhere, it, we have to send Air Force people to refuel it and everything, and do all the security and everything. So I got to go to Paris two different times on a POTUS mission, as it's called. That seems pretty neat. So it was pretty dope. No, that was pretty cool. I've only well, been to Paris and on the government's Not to down. brag for you, but... No, that was pretty cool. Well, and not to brag for you, but didn't you... Break the record for we, well, yeah, that was in Germany when I was at Ramps time. We broke the record for fastest Air Force One refuel. Ooh, it may, it may have been broken again. I don't know, but that's pretty cool. It's well, Spencer, you've been breaking cool. records since like <laughs> when I met you, so not a surprise. And Skyler's been making records. Oh, 
That's true. Exactly. And dropping B. I'm trying here, okay? Right. Just I like trying. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, all of this, I love it. Anyways, where were we? <laughs> so I think where we were uh, was that break. Union of Utrecht. Okay, okay yeah. We needed re- Which is kind of just like a defensive alliance codification of rights and responsibilities by within this. The by the Dutch. The Dutch rebels who were trying to against like, the Spanish formalize yeah their situation against the Spanish mm-hmm. yeah you're right because I keep and this is the it's 15... such a weird thing that they're fighting against Spain and it's the Netherlands it's and but the Spanish are actually ruled by a dude who was originally from the Netherlands while his father was and it's descended it's from Austrians shit's crazy <laughs> it's wild yeah so that's where kind of we were uh, it's kind of just more a formalization of everything um. Which is so in, this has been important because then they yeah. can have something to look back to and move forward from, right? Like, yeah, and it's kind of a move of sovereignty as well, kind of the start of Dutch nationhood in a way. Yeah, and uh, so this has been like twenty-ish years of fighting between Dutch and Spanish. So I guess I kind of would like to go into more about like how they actually were doing this fighting. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, which is. One of the main topics of this paper that I wrote back in the day about fortification. Um, warfare was undergoing a major shift. alteration, yeah. yeah, shift, because gunpowder was becoming more and more plentiful, cheaper, and more widespread in the use in battle. Well, realistically, they're finding new ways to apply it, right? Yeah. So they knew gunpowder was known, but how to turn it into a weapon, they were still figuring out. And by this point, they're funneling it through the end of a musket. Or getting, yeah, uh, getting so close so to that. for for like from like the 1300s onwards up until just recently, like the 1500s and like late 1400s, mo- the only real gunpowder weapon would be what's called like a bombard. So it's mm-hmm. a gigantic metal metal tube, tube. Yep. essentially, and they would have to load this with stone balls. So they'd have to have somebody carving and crafting each cannonball that they were launching out. And these giant cannons were insanely heavy, and this is like a pre-industrial society, so a horse, an ox, or a guy had to drag this around. And they don't have highways. Yeah, so mainly these were only, I mean, they were quite a revolution, but only really along waterways, because by ship was really the only way to move these any meaningful distance, just Mm -hmm, because of how heavy and clunky and everything they were. And plus we had to carry a crazy amount of these giant stone balls Right. Or so, make a crazy amount on site. Yeah, on yeah. site. Either way, that's a lot of money involved. Yeah. yeah. So And master crafters. Truth. They don't yeah. go cheap. No. <laughs> yeah. So this had some impact on fighting because at the time period in the Middle Ages, you know, your castle, you want high, straight walls, right? So cannonballs hitting somewhere lower on the wall will topple the wall kind of quickly honestly yeah well the reason not not this time exactly because again the crappier bombard technology so the reason you want high straight walls is because up to this point it was just men attempting to climb over your yeah yeah climb in over under some they had to get past it but now they had this new this new tool with which to assault these fortifications and turns out, yeah, a big... I feel like trebuchets would be make way more sense. Well, but here's the thing. Trebuchets use a an arc. Yeah. This is a Whereas straight, bombard flat Whereas is much more of a flat trajectory. You just point sure. it. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So trebuchets feel... were actually used to burn the buildings inside. Oh. They were only very lucky to... Fair enough. Only very lucky they would, to... They could bring it in, cause a, cause a fire. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're, trebuchets were more French anyway. They were so French. <laughs> I mean, and I guess the name is, I never thought of that. Yeah, but very, yeah. very Roman. These bombards are, they're big, unwieldy, hard to use because they're just so hard to move mm-hmm. place to place. So they didn't have a giant. No, there were no giants Idiots. at the time. Uh, so a major <laughs> Go over to Westeros. Would, come on. It, yeah, I know. Yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah. So in 1494 is when the king of France, Charles VIII, he believed that he had the best claim to the city and kingdom of Naples in southern France. So they contested that. Southern so, Italy, Naples is. Yes, this is southern Italy, in the boot yep. part of Italy, yeah. Yes. So he had upgraded his artillery train into a new, what we obviously know as cannons. So these are much smaller caliber, 
but way more transportable cannons compared to the bombard compared to the bombard okay. which was that was the top thing at the time mm-hmm. so he had a large number of these smaller cannons but he could carry them with his army as fast as his army could move and so he captured this string of dozens of castles that had withstood sieges of over a year at a time some of these places and they would roll up in a day and fire cannonballs knock down the wall and that was it yeah it was over that was the whole point so these cannonballs were metal and it just this kind of whole focus on sieges developed because people fighting they would lose a battle and they could pull back into a fort or Mm -hmm. a castle or fortress and if these castles are crap like at this time period yeah where they're too tall and focused mainly for people trying to climb over yeah uh it's just ineffective So there's a big scramble among all these different military architects to find a way to defeat this new crazy cannon that you can take anywhere. To defend against the newest form of weapon. Obviously. Which is made for destroying fortifications. Obviously it's to build a wall around your wall. (laughs) They actually did have that, though. I know. That's the best way to do it. What else are you going to do? Build a thick, like... Build another wall. Just not the same style of walls. Right. They, they well, used... a thicker wall. You know, a, a pyramid wall. Yeah. So this new style is known as the Trace Italienne in many scholar, like scholastic circles. Uh, yeah. So this is kind of like Italian architects were the first to kind of take it up, and they became the specialists of this new way of, yeah, as you were mentioning, you lower the wall and make it thicker to withstand impact from cannonballs. Yeah. But you also and change many it. other. Yeah. You also change its geometry. Yep. So you take it from the flat wall to yeah, round, to- round towers. Okay. Um, so they glance. They can glance off, exactly. Yeah. But also different um, layouts of the wall itself. So a lot of the Italian architects, eventually, like the final form came into like star forts, right? Yep. The so, star pattern. Like imagine, you know, the, the pointed That's edges insane. of a star. So That's the, insane. The great thing about this was not only was it easier to defend the cannonballs are going to bounce off of these walls because it's not a flat wall it's the points not only that you have cannons on the part of the defenders within this fortification at each point in the star to then fire have a greater radius of firing upon the attackers interesting every area could be targeted by more than one cannon yeah essentially so if you attack this area will fire cannonballs (laughs) into your back that's no matter where you attack the fortress you'll be fired (laughs) on your flank essentially is the goal of these which projects out the firepower substantially yeah that's insane and then even more tactical we should also google that and find a picture and put that yeah, on we our, can do that. There's tons of them. Too. Yeah, there's yeah. even still some and, up. Yeah. And they're beautiful, too. Yeah, it looks super cool. They look awesome from the air. Yeah. 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 So so in the Netherlands, these are adopted then? Are, are they bringing Italian architects in? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Uh, so the... Sorry if that was a bit loud. But um, there's good. some... They're like notable Dutch architects who kind of take the Trace Italian style and make it their own mm-hmm. because the Netherlands had a couple of unique factors going on. So again, like I mentioned earlier, that low water table oh, yeah. sure. means that you dig a hole a couple of feet deep and it will fill with water. Whereas right. most of Europe, that's not the case. So most of no. these okay. fortresses yeah. around Europe would have like an empty ditch essentially. Yeah. Just cause it would just take too much work to fill this thing mm-hmm. with water. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas in the Netherlands, everything you, always had a, mo- a moat essentially yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm. Just naturally, naturally, yeah. like a because the, yeah, boat. low. Yeah. It's very marshy, low yeah. lying area. That's and insane. They also had this uh, plan called the water line, which is kind of a last ditch defense of the core of the the Dutch Republic. Yeah, which was where they would they could break dikes in certain areas, so yeah, rupture different dams and oh. let water through different regions, and they could flood this whole barrier region and make like the province of Holland and Ireland. That's insane. Artificially. They would use that. And then they would have like a sea barrier and they had control of the sea so they could That's defend insane. It. So they had this thing, which they did at different times, but it was yeah. always like a last ditch thing because tons of crops and stuff was destroyed. Well, of course, yeah. That. So it, was, yeah. it wasn't like something they would just do. But Right. But if, if they needed to, if it, it, it did that, work a number of times. Like the last defense you're saying, you know, it's like, Fall Obviously. back, but I mean, obviously, like the other provinces, 
weren't super keen on that because that's like abandoning everything but yeah right. the most important that's like blowing, <laughs> blowing the bridge up and not having a way to get back yeah it's like you guys give up or come back and chill on our stuff <laughs> so did that ever happen with uh units on the field like were they did it is there ever a recorded instance of like someone laying siege and it being so dire that they went we need to blow this dike now and have the attackers then be running away from a wall of water is there every recorded i mean it's usually slower than that but yes there were times where they would once they would start the siege they'd start letting water go to flood a mm. broad swath of territory around different regions to make it very difficult yeah. to attack from yeah so and they did that yeah. full the full water line in 1672 they did do that where they okay made holland the province of holland what was that called What's the name of that? The the it's called the water line. The water line. Yeah. Cool. 1672. That's what, I mean when it was yeah. more effective. It kept the yeah. French out weirdly, because <laughs> the French were kind of friends of the Dutch at our They're, time period. But yeah. Well. So the Dutch had many innovations, and then also I mean at, this is time period where I said the main like combat force would be a s- huge block of pike, guys pike with spears and pikes at this time period. Yeah. So long, huge spears. Yeah. And yeah. these would have a couple musketeers on the edges because these muskets were like a hand cannon was a brand new thing. Yeah. And over time it just became a change in balance where before it would be four pikes to one musket. That balance slowly shifted until there were no pikes Mm -hmm. in the end. Right. So they were trying to figure out how to use these different weapons and also a major issue. Again, like we were talking about with money is all this costs so much money. Yeah. And like I said, you lose a battle, you pull back into these different forts, and you have to besiege each one, which takes a lot of time where you're paying soldiers who are firing things that cost money and just prolonging this whole thing, which the Dutch were able to kind of just hold on and grind through many tons of different Spanish offensives. Not to mention that uh, huh. these firepowered, the gunpowder weapons are immensely powerful, but they're still learning out how to use them, as you said, the best way to use them, but also how to make the items themselves as accurate as possible. For instance, here, the viewers at home, just look up uh, uh, like a harquebusier. Look, look that up, and you'll, you'll see. We'll also post it on Facebook. We can, yeah. But, Skyler, take a look at this weapon. It's this massive, massive, it's yeah. a hand cannon. Yeah. So it's, the guy, the guy, the yeah, yeah the people are like uh, harquebusiers, as somebody would be called. Yeah. So that's like a thing. That's like their weapon it's, and and like the hand to hand weapon yeah. and a gun. That's so insane. because like you whack somebody well, with that, you it know. also looks like they have. But you couldn't just like run around all day with that, you know. Well, no, <laughs> so it's probably like it's pretty like tough. It's probably like fifty or sixty pounds, you at know? least. A bunch well, of and metal, like yeah. it looks like they have a. Uh, tripod essentially on a stick that you would just you would stick into the ground and you'd be like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna shoot. yeah, you because know? it was and very heavy, yeah, yeah, and slow to reload. And this dude, yeah, at that time that was like match locks. This this dude looks like a gentleman though, like the, the gentleman. He looks, he looks very uh, learned in in You've his gotta craft. Be. You've got to be. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's this that time picture. period with like an arquebus would be yeah. a match lock. Or if so. you, you've probably seen something like that. Oh yeah, she's a beauty. Great gun. Uh, which So a matchlock would mean it's, you have like a, like a hinge with a long mat, lit match, which is kind of coated in gunpowder to keep it burning at a steady pace. Yeah. But they couldn't just like light, they didn't have like a lighter, so they couldn't just be like, oh, here, let me light right. my match again. It like went a, out. A like they could not let this or, uh... thing go out essentially. And they'd have like, yeah, like a little like bin of like ashes and stuff to kind of maybe get a spark back out of. Yeah. But this thing was a constantly burning thing, which would have to last you the whole battle. So the yeah. match lock would have like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 feet of match attached to the end of it. So they'd have these matches wound around their arms, bodies all over the place. And basically like lit. a saying, like a candle wick basically. Yeah. Right? But yeah. super wrapping around your body. Yep. And also that's what you use to, Explode the gunpowder shootout. So imagine, <laughs> imagine like, the insane, dude. Now imagine Holy fighting shit. and people shooting black powder everywhere. And yeah, imagine yeah. The, the wick for a firework, only yeah. moving. 
It's burning at a tenth of the speed, if not less. That sounds great. Often going out. It fucking sounds so much and fun, And you're dude. using it oh to light a, a little sort of funnel of gunpowder resting atop this giant metal tube that you're holding. Right. And my that, question is... And that's is, your weapon. My question is, where can we buy these and can we shoot fireworks out of them? We can't buy them. <laughs> but you could probably go see them it. in like <clears throat> the Royal... Fort Niagara. You could see them at the Royal Duck hey. Museum. There you go. Yeah. Or honestly, you could see a, there's a guy yeah. with a musket. At a much more advanced version of yeah, these. Yeah, that's true. Much more advanced. Yeah. Yes. Well, you can. These still, are still pretty crude. The time we're doing. You yeah. can still buy. You can buy a musket today. So. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. And I plan to. They have these new uh, gunpowder weapons. They're moving around easier. They create fortifications to combat the new weapons. Yes. And then what happens? We're in 1580 now, let's say. 1588, 1590. What's, what's going on? So, uh, as I said again, uh, the Netherlands, it's a very urban area for Europe at the time. So a lot of these urban areas are cities that are kind of built within fortifications. So th- nice. throughout most of the Dutch Republic, well, throughout much of the Eight Years' War, these towns start to add, augment their... Uh, fortifications with this new system and it's kind of just a grinding battle of attrition between Spain and the Dutch going back and forth trying to capture fortresses and the Dutch had constructed this ring of fortresses kind of around their edge so like down the eastern border and along the south along the territories that they control nice and it was again this isn't the only time that Spain was bankrupt it happened several times which was a huge boon to the Dutch at the time. But this is only like one aspect of the fighting because really the eight years war was like a global war. Uh, yeah. As I said, the Dutch were masters of trade between many countries yeah. at the time in Europe. The cash so this, cow. At the time, like yeah. most countries didn't have a Navy per se. Yeah. They would just activate a bunch of ships and give be them, like, hey, you guys are in the military. They the give Navy. them a flag. Yeah, and, and they you're throw part a bunch, of us yeah. now. And yeah. they throw a bunch of troops on the ship and be like, all right, well, let's go and do whatever. So <laughs> the Dutch had this very large merchant fleet already, which yeah. could easily be have a Converted bunch of cannons into, chucked yeah. on them. So, yeah, nice. and with their you know great seamanship and everything, <clears> they were able to kind of take the war to Spain across the whole world mm-hmm. because, as we said, the Spanish into controlled. the East Indies. And the whole the new world, yeah. yeah. And as like the Spanish were extracting huge amounts of silver, gold, and many other things from the new world, and they would ship them in convoys across. And this was like a humongous. Every year there would be these treasure ships would arrive, and it was critical for the Spanish every year because it was kind of like they could. Again, this was all before like a lot of financial institutions, so it was kind of like how the Dutch had an early stock market thing, yeah. where they could say, okay. Every year we produce a hundred tons of silver from the new world. So when that hundred tons of silver shows up this year, you can buy, I'll give you a 10th of it Mm -hmm. and you give me that 10th of it now. So it's a way for them to kind of get credit. They're almost like out of their own subjects. They're almost manufacturing like confidence. It's what this is like sort of the start of like, like, for instance, America went off the gold standard in the 70s. The and now it's just, yeah. now we basically, yeah. the only reason our money has value is because we say it does. This is kind of the predecessor to well, that, Well, this right? is weird like, because this is like, yeah, this is when silver it is, it's very rare. But then the Spanish are able to extract a crazy amount of silver from the New World. Which mm-hmm. That becomes kind of their standard of their monetary like fund throughout yeah. their time period. and um, But they just dump every year create like large large amounts of silver and gold onto the, the market yeah. which causes a depreciation of silver and gold so they're hurting themselves so, so yeah. over time it's like this huge they came became very reliant the spanish did on the new world silver essentially mm-hmm. because it was just a guaranteed thing where most places it was kind of you had some guy who you you know had collect taxes for you and it usually money wasn't as much of a thing back then it was more right like They're, crops, because most people were farmers, so most of the time you were just getting like food mm-hmm. traded a around. Lot of, a lot to, of taxes were paid in grain. Yeah, most paid of in them. kind. Yeah, so yeah. not many people had money. This was like the silver was able to help spread the money because where did the silver go? Mostly to the soldiers. Yeah, 
to fight wars. Who then would who spend then it. could use it to buy food? Yeah, like, and then it enters much, the market, and it's all very of that. much still focused around agriculture. Yeah, but now silver and gold are playing a bigger and bigger part. So yeah. when when does uh... I'm sorry I, before I just the reason I brought up the whole treasure fleet thing was that there okay was yeah yeah. Uh, one, I can't, I don't remember exactly what time or period it was, but the Dutch were able to capture one of these treasure fleets, which yielded an insane amount of wealth for the Dutch. Okay. And they were able to even found their Dutch West India company was because of an infusion of money from this one fleet. It was just like, damn, the kind of money, astronomical amount of money. Yeah. And uh, again, right. this had like such a horrible impact on Spain as well. Like everything like this, all countries were trying to get a piece of Spain's huge empire. Essentially. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So in like, today, and every time that, that so yeah. as I said, like they had these kind of speculation about, we're going to get this much silver, et cetera, et cetera. So they were ga- getting the money for it before it had arrived. Yeah. Oh, right. So say then Ooh. the entire fleet is stolen by your enemies. That's, then you can't Pretty make bad good for on the economy. You can't so, yeah, yeah. yeah, a series of this caused some of the bankruptcies yeah. of Spain. They were just committed to too many fronts, too many things all over for the sure. world. Yeah. And then they can't pay those And they were depreciating. Yeah, and then that lost their entire, mm-hmm. yeah, massive tax base. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so what did that cause? What did that, I mean, it caused massive upset. The whole world over, but specifically with the Netherlands. Well, um, it just meant that this uh, so the army of flanders was the spanish army within the netherlands okay and so this army ebbed and flowed where there would be tons of desertion because there wasn't pay and right i said the spanish fury was a major event in switching a lot of people to the side of the rebellion yeah and did the rebellion yield anything because the war goes on for 80 years but a lot yeah does the rebellion yield anything in the terms of like does the Netherlands gain any sort of independence within this period, or does it only happen at the end? So uh, there's a period where the Dutch decide, okay, we don't want the king of Spain to be our king. We're over this guy. But they were still kind of committed to this monarchical kind of mindset, so they thought, we need a king. So they were casting around all these different Europeans trying to find somebody who would be their king, but a lot of countries refused because that would mean they would go to you war were instantly at war with Spain, yeah. the most powerful country yeah. around. Yeah. So they there was like a French prince who came for a while, but then tried to seize too much power, and the Dutch were kind of like, yeah, we just kind of want the figurehead, you know? Yeah. So they kicked them out. <laughs> there was a French fury as the French troops then rebelled. <laughs> so that didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, 1585, there's the Treaty of Nonsuch, which is where the Dutch went to England and asked for Queen Elizabeth to be their queen oh, to gain shit. support, money, men, and everything sure. and in the war through? against Spain because England was also at odds with Spain. So this is, yeah, 1585 Treaty Nonsuch. She didn't accept the throne, but she appointed one of her high nobles, the Earl of Leicester, to be kind of like a protector, kind oh, of. Okay. Sort of okay. an agent and sort of yeah. show like an alliance between the two. Yeah. And he brought with him like 6,000 footmen, 1,000 horse. Nice. And so on. And a bunch of money to help fund the rebellion because there was, again, a series of ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And uh, Which is another reason it was able to go on for 80 years. Is it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. all out war the way we think of it today. Like it wasn't World War II level war all out for 80 years. It was, right. like you said, ebbs and flows. Yeah. Uh, they're learning new technologies and, and yeah. then learning new tactics to combat those technologies. And, and like yeah. I was saying, with the sieges, um, there's the, the area controlled by the rebellion is like completely surrounded by multiple rings of fortified towns. So you capture one town, and that would take you months. And then you have to spend months and years more. Shooting cannonballs that cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Burning of gunpowder, paying soldiers, mm-hmm. and soldiers are dying, so you have to pay pension and so on. Like and as soon as you capture this town, and then there's two more towns. Until you get beyond to the really that. important. So then point. you have to yep. do that for both of those. And like you can only really huh. devote enough men and funds to do like a couple at a time. Yeah. So it was a very slow kind of grind. <laughs> and this is this English period lasted for several years, but then in the end, the Earl of Leicester tried to exert too much control while not being the king. And so they eventually kicked the English out. And 
there was like a financial agreement between them, but a lot of countries that were Protestant tried to kind of stick together. And so England was also Protestant at this point. So yeah, they had, huh. they sent money throughout. Mm-hmm. So, That's cool. so that was 1585. So remember how I was trying to say that, uh, civil wars didn't exist until the American one. Yeah. Typical, uh, Ameri- American centricism on my part. Uh, I'm now just reading literally as we're episode. discussing yeah. where to move towards the final chapter of this episode. Yeah. In 1589, a new civil war in France. Civil war has always been a thing. It's just that this war wasn't particularly a civil war because it was right. an outside influence exerting it its power on a, a locality. Right. Basically. It was more of a breakaway than a yeah. civil yeah. conflict. Yeah, it Which, wasn't like Dutch people. It wasn't the Dutch, Dutch people, fighting the Dutch. It was right. yeah. Dutch against. Yeah. yeah, and even the Dutch that weren't even really a thing yet. Like, yeah, they were. They, each province was fiercely really unique. Yeah, yes. they couldn't even fight. Jealous of their own privileges. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the interesting thing about the this eighty years war is that it's actually. So the interesting thing about the this eighty years war is that it's actually interspersed with a twelve years truce. We sure are. Right. So we're coming up on that truce now. We Get, sure are. Getting in, we're in 1685 is when you said... Uh, 1585, sorry. 85. Words and numbers are beginning <laughs> to get to this point. It's a 1585 <laughs> is when... It's a yeah period of English... That's right. Uh, kind of, I don't know, what, what do you call that? Like uh, pushing of their power. Well, assistance. It's, it's yeah, an assistance assertion of their power. and alliance, which lasts for a period of time, but then eventually most of them are kind of pushed out. Except for kind of financial aid to the Dutch, so it's no longer okay. So for a short for a short period, it is actual physical assistance with troops on the ground. Yes, yes. Okay. To, m- mainly, like they would help garrison because again, as I said, there's fortresses everywhere, and you can't just have like five guys guard a fortress of a start. You know, of this what? trace Italian style. You know, no. You'd yeah. need a couple more, like hundreds. Right. So this kind of cause a big issue of paying for everything again. Sure. So it, it helped by having head. them guarding outposts. The Dutch could take those people and put them mm, into okay. a field army Okay. and everything like that. So, but yeah, so again, uh, many, 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 many long sieges, you know, almost nonstop throughout this whole period. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, like this, when, one side could just get dysentery and half their army is gone. You know? Right. And you have to like rehire all these people yeah. and retrain and not, them. And not only to mention, on top of that, you have to live life normally. You have to still bring in a harvest. You still have to transport normal goods to market to be sold just for your civilians' sustenance, right? So they're, they're doing yeah, all this. Every, every farmer you take out of the field and make him into a soldier is one less farmer creating wealth essentially it's, it's also yeah. so it's always a delicate balance of, that's crazy it's yeah. also why up to this period um and very long beyond most wars were fought during the summer yeah it's because that's yeah. when the plants are growing the, the farmer has nothing else to do so they can be recruited into the army it's not plant if or you harvest, if yeah. you that's why so many um partly obviously weather plays into it as well nobody likes to fight in the fucking snow without shoes but that's another huge reason why if you try and start a war late in the year, you're fucked because you have... A yeah, f- especially a in this time period when we're talking about exactly. sieges where it takes months to take one yep. place. You've got a smaller yeah. window of good weather with which to attack, but also that you're limiting your resources by pulling very important people out of the fields who are going to be feeding your army to fight in your army. So Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. And that's what I, that's another thing I've always gone back and forth and I've said it many times on this podcast about how much I love history for giving people the, the wonder of perspective, right? It gives you this concept of you can really take a step back and come to understand how they did things in the past. And I look at, I don't, I think (laughs) this way every day in my life Yeah, of like using perspective. Well, there's so many similarities as well to what they're doing and to what we are doing today. Sure. You know? Yeah. That's another uh, thing is, you, you can, know, it you always comes down to money. It, it always comes down to money, power, 
Money or a tradable resource. and Or tradable resource. Yep. GDP, everything is... And God. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and for religion. some people, religion. Yeah, yeah. a lot yep. of people, religion. And this That's conflict is no different, for no. sure. So. Yeah. No. Well, and this is basically because of religion. Yeah. The, well, the be, main factor is really like uh, it'll become more so like, later. It's, a, it's definitely a huge factor. Yeah. Later it will become 60% more so. 60% was probably religion. Yeah. Um at this point I would say 60% was money, was finance, money. was taxes. It's so hard to say. Well, at this though. point, but at I the mean, beginning. Yeah. No, anyway. Hard to say. So we're in Cuz again it wasn't like everyone was a Calvinist. It was still like many people were Catholics, right? But well, that's another thing is going along with what was happening. Well, if you were a Calvinist, does that mean you're like you care more about money than no, religion? no, 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 yeah, okay. but, no. but I, so I think a lot of people today would. That's another thing is history teaches you how to view the past. So what we're talking about is the Netherlands wasn't even the Netherlands. We're including, yeah, yeah. we're including parts of Belgium and Luxembourg of yeah. that are no longer part of the Netherlands. Yeah. So you and to, even that area, like the Dutch speaking Dutch, and right. most Belgians were speaking a French dialect. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. balloons. And, right. So damn. Even that, there's yeah. a linguistic era issue between the two areas. And then yeah. not only that, but entire towns. One town would be uh, Calvinist, and then and then uh, five miles away, another town is fully Catholic, even though they're supposed to be under the rule of a guy who is Lutheran. So, like, it's not these monoliths like we think of them as being. Germany wasn't Germany until 1871, and even then, yeah. it wasn't Germany that we know of as today. So, that's another really important aspect that you can learn through studying history is there's so much nuance in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to think of. Like, we've, we've circled back to this a, a couple times already in this podcast, but um, the fact that the people who we are calling Dutch, who but who probably didn't call themselves Dutch at this point in time, are fighting yeah. against the Spain- Hollander, right? Utrechter. They're fighting against a Spanish king who was overseeing one of the largest empires in the world, but was actually mm. descended from some people who came from Switzerland or Austria, depending on um, what part of the line of succession he was. It's just crazy to think about. It gives so yeah. much. You, you're forced to see so much nuance built into these histories, and it's like you said, Scott, very applicable to how we view today's events. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, I think we're moving into the final stages of this episode. We're gonna finish this off uh, in a later episode, but we're moving up now towards uh, the twelve years truce. Yes. Which comes about because of what? Uh, a series of crises for Spain and fortune for the Dutch kind of okay. several more bankruptcies and military reverses caused Spain to kind of retreat out of many different areas because they the just Dutch couldn't captured several areas through. I mean, many because there was rises and falls, Ebbs and multiple flows again, Spanish right? yep. commanders, multiple Dutch commanders and everything. Mm-hmm. So eventually like the Spanish are just in a rough spot and they agreed to sign a truce for 12 years, which could be renewed at the end of that 12 years. And oh, it, that's so interesting. So they yeah, it was, they didn't want to end the war necessarily. It, yeah, so again, Philip in Spain were kind of like this God-chosen ruler. So they couldn't really just allow themselves to be defeated and the Dutch mm-hmm. winning. So they were like, well, we're, yeah. we're still, you're still our thing, but... <clears throat> we'll stop fighting for now and they could both kind of catch their breath mm-hmm. and the Spanish needed it because their finances were in dire straits and they were always on and off again, war with France. Nice. So, and, yeah. and now increasingly England. So in 1588, actually just shortly after this whole treaty with England, there's the Spanish Armada, which was Spain trying to invade England and depose uh, Queen Elizabeth from being queen because she was Protestant, continuing the Protestant tradition Which is over just in England. Crazy to me to th- think about this. You're fighting this crazy long war with these dudes from the Netherlands. <sighs> yeah, it's crazy. You're battling against the French, and then you go, "Eh, fuck you, English. One we're gonna more. we're gonna go against you too." Like, yeah. what are you? That's thinking? crazy. Yeah. So, so it, all the countries were trying to. <laughs> what are you thinking? I guess they're going for independence. Yeah. So, now. so trade back then was like <laughs> way different. Like they had yeah. a totally different mindset for trade. So they thought it was kind of like. 
you want to control as much trade as possible and only what you control matters so many like spain mm, yeah. excluded all other countries from trading with their colonies in the new world which is this huge market of tons of people and towns and all yeah. that so they jealously kept that to promote their own industry That's but insane. all these other countries in europe wanted to get involved the dutch more than many and england as well so they sort of carried on this black market trade with many of them and so that's part of why spain wanted to fight england was to right this whole thing down. yeah and yeah. To, and to remove the protestant ruler because then they were staunch but so the the spanish armada was supposed to sail from spain up to the spanish controlled netherlands and scoop up this army of flanders that is the main army in the eight years war mm -hmm. and yeah. use that to land in england and take control of england but but then it didn't go well so they yeah. lost <laughs> this naval battle and then a series of storms destroyed most of the fleet but that was like real again, bad luck another like series of bad luck for spain yeah <laughs> they were like what well, we're the strongest but we keep losing all this crap but so then in what was it 1609 is when the 12 years truce happened? yes 1609 okay. the 12 years truce started which was kind of a tacit at um what's it called like recognition of Dutch. the Dutch as a country, not like strict, but there was like ambassadors, and it was sort of acknowledged that they were actually they had some self-rule going on. Yes, so yeah. well, they weren't, weren't they weren't admitting that they didn't control them at all. But the like Spanish weren't. But you better but bet this, your ass that yes, England, spread around England and France Europe. were like, oh, yeah. we recognize you as an independent. It was the Dutch oh, Republic well. at that point, yes. right? Yes, so the Dutch Republic. Well, yeah. So a, a very early republic. This is a threat. 1609. I mean, the American Revolution, Definitely 1775. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a century plus earlier. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Well, do the Dutch have any colonists? Do they have any control over the Americas? The Dutch don't. They do. I mean, I mean they, so New York, they gain it. But. New York was originally, it was New Amsterdam. No. They have that some. That was later than the 12 years truce. Yes, but. they have some colonies. Yeah. But they're more worried about the movement of goods than the placement of peoples realistically. Yeah. They, they're just trying to yeah profit off of it. Yeah. So they're trying to gain control of trade in the hmm. Spanish colonies. They're trying yeah. to gain control of trade in Africa, like slave trade, gold trade, ivory trade. They're trying to gain control of the spice routes over to well, Indonesia and Asia. Yeah. That's like the most lucrative. They're cutting so. off their, it's a competition in Spain. Well, yeah. Spain kind of allowed them to trade yeah. within parts of the Spanish empire, Yeah, yeah. which was a humongous boon for the Dutch, but kind of Sorry. didn't help the Spanish at all. Yeah, sort of a sort of a later realized blunder by the Spanish at that point. Yeah. yeah. So this twelve years truce was a momentary period of pause and an end of hostilities, yeah. while yeah. both could catch their breath and establish themselves. Right. Uh, both avidly built fortresses to you know strengthen themselves against attack by the yep. other. They're letting they're letting people grow. They're letting people have children. They're letting farmers bring in the crops. They're 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 stocking up. They're stockpiling yeah. at this yeah. point. Sixteen oh nine to yeah. well twelve years. Matt? To sixteen twenty one. It might not have been exactly twelve years, but so that, they called it the twelve years truce. But um, it, was it more than twelve? Is that no, sixteen twenty one. Technically less. They often cited as sixteen eighteen with the outbreak of the Thirty Years' War. The Dutch were kind of pulled back into it. And that's actually mm. where we're going to end this episode, because next episode, we're going to continue on with the end of the 12 years truce, the continuation of the 80 years war, but also the outbreak of the 30 years war. A whole new number named war. But kind of also the same war. But yeah, branch. It, yeah. So if you were a, confused. A dynastic craziness. If you were confused this episode. Of war. You might get more confused next episode. Yeah. That Holy Roman Empire kind of... They don't make things easy for ...becomes a whole us. battleground. Oh, man. And Shit gets crazy. Now, this has been a fun episode, guys. This has been good. Yeah. You I know. Had a lot of fun. I would say... Uh, right? Per most of our episodes, we try to make some heavy stuff a little lighter, have some fun with it, so... Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you as all the listeners really enjoy it, because uh, we three are having a grand old time. Per usual with the heavy pour, we've had a couple of drinks, and uh, we're having a good time. So, we're going to continue those libations, I think, and uh, bid you all adieu. I have been Dustin. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Gentlemen, 
I have been Spencer. It's a great time over here. I've had a lot of fun. Don't forget to check out some of our most social of medias. And I've been Skylar. All right. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. The Heavy Pour is researched and written by Dustin Barton, recorded and produced by Skylar Carroll, and edited by us both. Check us out at The Heavy Pour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or at our website, theheavypourpodcast.com. There, you can also find any citations or corrections we have made. Our intro and theme music were written by Skylar, with photos by ourselves, as well as Kaylee Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.